You're listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org. Well, it is really good to be with you today. Um, I will just kind of tell you my perspective coming to Redeeming Grace today, kind of from an outsider who's not part of this body of faith, local body of faith, I should say, is that I feel like we have been very welcomed. We walked in the door, we had people welcome us, and uh, this service has been very, very Christ-saturated. And so it's an honor to be with you today. I'm thankful to be here to, to worship with my brothers and sisters in the faith. It is a privilege to stand before this congregation. Uh, as, as Josh said, I'm a pastor in Belfouche, and we have prayed for redeeming grace over the years since your start. And we're so excited about what God is doing here and the various kinds of growth that you have experienced since your start. Uh, When I asked Josh this a couple of weeks ago, what he kind of thought would be appropriate for me to preach on today, he said, just whatever God led me to, but uh, that you've been in Job for the last few, I don't know, months, I guess, weeks, and that you're pretty depressed right now. So I probably should do something. So we're not going to do Ecclesiastes or Judges or anything like that today, basically. So, but uh, I have been, Josh has been such a dear friend to me, and I've been encouraged by him. I've learned a lot from him. And I have a lot of respect for Josh and his family. Josh has a sincere love for God and for people. And got to spend last week with him at a conference. And, uh, and I know that he loves this church body. I know that he cares well for the souls of those that God has placed here. And so uh, just have a lot of respect for Josh and his family. Love you and, and thankful for you and your friendship. Uh, we moved to Belfouche almost 10 years ago now to plant our church. And it has been such an enjoyable journey. We love our people. We love our town. Uh, it has not been without difficulties. Uh, anything worthwhile is going to have difficulties, and, uh, but God has used our time there, and we've been so thankful to be a part of what God is doing in our town, in this region, and in this state. And so today, if you have a copy of God's Word, open up to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, one of my favorite passages in the Bible, and I uh, want to look at Romans chapter 12. Specifically, we'll look at verses 1 and 2. If you are a Christian, if you have trusted in Christ alone for your salvation, then you have a calling on your life. You have mission in life. You have purpose in life. I think of Colossians chapter 1 that tells us that we've not just been created by God. It's not as though God created us, got the ball of creation rolling, then stepped back to see what would happen. We have been created, it says, by God, and we have been created for God. So we have purpose. We have mission. We have we have life through our Lord, if indeed we know him. And now we've all been called to various tasks as Christians, but as Christians, all of those callings are ultimately undergirded and driven by one primary calling, and that is that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And out of that, we are then to love our neighbors as ourselves. However, there might be times as Christians that we hear about purpose and mission and calling, and if we're honest, we're just a little too overwhelmed by life to really think a whole lot about it. We can come to church on Sunday and hear these things and then go out, and our life gets busy, life happens, and, and it's overwhelming at times, and maybe even a little bit discouraging at times. Uh, how, how are we to love others? How are we to serve the way God wants us to serve when maybe things in our lives are not as they should be? I don't know if you've ever opened up your Bible. I've done this many times. Opened up my Bible to read, and I've encountered on the pages of Scripture things that I am supposed to be doing and who I am supposed to be. And I leave maybe a little bit 
discouraged because maybe I don't really, I know I don't measure up to what I'm reading right there. And so I think we all feel the weight of that. I think we all feel the weight of that struggle at times, knowing who we are to be and what we are to do, and yet thinking, I'm just not there. I'm just not there. And so what is the solution? Is the solution just to try harder, just to maybe pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and just try and, try and grit out and, 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 and just try and be who God has called us to be through our own efforts and our own gifting and so forth? What is the solution? Well, the, the section of Scripture that I want to look at today contains some of these commands that can seem overwhelming at times, and at times they seem impossible and unattainable. For example, look at Romans 12, verses 9 through 13. I just want you to think about these verses as we read them. Paul writes here, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. In these verses, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, told the Roman Christians, think about this, that they were to be transparent in their love, that they were to do what is right, and they were to hate that which is wrong. They were to give preference to one another. They were to put their own needs to the side and give preference to each other. They were to be zealous in their pursuit of, knowledge of, and proclamation of God. They were to rejoice, not in what is seen, but in hope. They were to persevere in the midst of trials and tribulations. They were to live a lifestyle of prayer. They were to give to the needs of their brothers and sisters to live generously, not hoarding and keeping, but to give away for the glory of God and the good of others. They were to be hospitable even when they didn't feel like it. Now, again, a list like that can seem overwhelming. I look through that list and I think, man, I'm really not doing so well in some of these areas of my life. In fact, one thing that should immediately jump off the pages of this passage as we read it is this. To do these things, to be this person, we absolutely need supernatural help. This is not something that we can conjure up in our flesh. We need God's help in this. How are we to be people like this? How can we invest our lives in such a way that God is honored and God is glorified? How can we live out our Christian faith in a world of deception, in a world of temptation, a world of lies. We look around at our world today, and it is obvious that our world is entrenched in lies. Our world has bought into demonic systems. Our world is in a bad spot right now, and we live in this world. We are aliens and sojourners in this world as Christ followers. How do we live the way God desires when we live in a world like this. Well, prior to the commands of verses 9 through 13, we find the motivation and the power behind this call to live out the mission God has placed on us as his followers. And it goes back not just to the beginning of chapter 12, but even to the end of chapter 11. Let's look first of all at Romans 12:1. Paul writes here, "Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice." acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Now, the, in New American Standard Version that I'm reading from, the first word here is therefore. And if you've been around pastors long at all, you've heard them make the statement, whenever you come to the word therefore, which is a key transitional word, whenever you see the word therefore, you always ask, what is the therefore therefore? 
And it's hearkening back. It's a transitional word. It's saying because of what was just written, therefore now we need to do this. So we've got to go a little bit farther back into the text to see what the therefore is there for. So look back at chapter 11, verses 33 to 36. And, and in these verses, the apostle Paul gushes forth praise and exaltation to the Lord. Look at what it says here at verse 33. Paul writes, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who became his counsel? We actually sang lyrics very similar to that earlier. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So in these verses, we encounter the the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. We see his exalted position as our Lord and as our creator, his exalted position above man. Verse 36 says, from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory. He is the self-sufficient one. He is the preeminent one. And as a result, Paul writes, to him belongs all the glory. No one else is worthy. No other gods. No other person no other material thing. And after that anthem of exaltation, we come to chapter 12. Therefore, therefore, in light of who God is and in light of what God has done, he says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Therefore, I urge you. The word urge here is the Greek word parakaleo. It's the idea of urging by coming alongside. In other words, Paul was telling the Roman Christians that he was not just urging them to do something that he himself was not doing, but he was in fact coming alongside them in order to encourage them to present their bodies to God as a living and holy sacrifice, to give all of themselves to God. Now, that would be pretty awesome to know that the Apostle Paul was with us in this quest, in this journey to present ourselves to God that he was urging them and he was in them he was in this with them but Paul was not just appealing to them he was not just urging them out of his own partnership or his own example his appeal to them was based on something much much higher and much much more powerful and significant look at what he writes here therefore i urge you brothers and here it is here's the motivation or here's the here's the driving force i urge you by the mercies of god Paul is writing, I urge you, brothers and sisters, I'm in this with you, I'm alongside you in this, but I urge you primarily, based upon the great mercies of God that have been extended to us, to present your bodies to God as a living and holy sacrifice. The mercies of God. What are the mercies of God? God shows us his mercies every day, doesn't he? His mercies are new every morning. Great is the faithfulness of God. His mercies are many and they are Various, but here are just a few of the mercies of God that we enjoy. Just think about his kindness for a minute. Romans chapter 2, verse 4 tells us that it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. If you are here today and you are in Christ, you know Jesus as Lord and Savior, you have been born again, you have been saved. Do you know why you have been saved? It is because God in his kindness extended his salvation to you in Christ. Think about the grace that is ours in Christ. Romans 3.24, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is ours in Christ Jesus. Think about the love of God 
that is yours in Christ. John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Or the reconciliation that you have experienced, if indeed you know Christ. Romans 5, 10 says, for while we were enemies, while we were enemies of God, he has reconciled us uh, by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Think about adoption into God's family. 1 John 3, 1 says, see what kind of love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and such we are. Think about the forgiveness that you have experienced in Christ. An unpayable debt, a debt that you could work a million lifetimes and never atone for. And when you put your faith in Christ, repented of your sins, you experienced the forgiveness of God. Colossians 1.14 tells us through Christ we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. And beyond all of those marvelous spiritual truths and many, many others, how about this? The mercy of God that is evident right now in the very breath we're able to breathe. It is a gift of God's grace. If God were to remove his sustaining hand from our lives for even a millisecond, we would fall over dead right now. It is all a gift of the mercy of God. The food that we enjoy. I had steak two nights ago. Praise God for steak Praise God for the great food that he has given us, and he provides his provision, family, friends, this church body. Listen, I don't know if I I pray and hope that there is not. I've not heard anything at all like this, but if there are any issues within this body of conflict or anything, we need to get over it and recognize the reality that around this room right now, as you look at your brothers and sisters, they are gifts from the hand of our benevolent Father to you. And we need one another. And this is a privilege that we enjoy. We talked about earlier Iran and different places in the world where they are meeting in secret. We are meeting and open right now. Thank God for the gift of his mercy. Thank God for the gift of his mercy. So put all of this together. Because of the, the character of God, chapter 11, verses 33 to 36, because of the mercies of God, because of who God is and what God has done for us, Paul writes, out of those things, I urge you, I appeal to you, I beg you, brothers and sisters, here it is, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. Now, this is vivid and shocking imagery, imagery that Paul employs here. Because this is a picture of a living human sacrifice on the altar. Now, the New Testament is very clear that Christians are priests of a new covenant. 1 Peter 2, 5, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And since we are priests, what is our spiritual sacrifice? In the Old Testament, the priests had to have a sacrifice to put on the altar. Now, we obviously no longer present animal sacrifices on the altar because the New Testament tells us clearly that Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us, and he is the final and the perfect sacrifice to atone for the sins of man. So as priests of a new covenant, what is our spiritual sacrifice? And the answer is here in Romans 12 and other New Testament texts, it is ourselves. Our bodies, our lives, if, if we are Christians, if we know Christ, then our souls are his. But the reality is this, we still live in fallen bodies and we live in a fallen world. And Paul reminded the Roman Christians, think of the context here, he's writing believers living in Rome who were living in a corrupt and a grossly immoral society with ever-present lures and temptations and he's telling them, present your bodies to God and not to the world. Likewise, likewise, 
We are to surrender and sacrifice our bodies, our lives to Christ as a spiritual act of worship, which means that once we enter into a relationship with Christ, our lives are no longer our own. That's why we read in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and that you are not your own, for you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. We are to put to death the deeds of the flesh. And that is a choice that we have to make to submit to God and not to the world. The New Testament is replete with verses related to continually choosing to put to death the deeds of the flesh and to put on the things of God. You see, our flesh is not like an animal that can be, that can be, that can be broken, that can be tamed and brought under control and that we never have to fight with again. It is a constant battle that I think we would all agree with. It is a battle that is ongoing and raging. So here's what we do, and this is so, so clarifying. Listen to Romans 6, 12 and 13. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Now listen to this. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So we either present our bodies to sin, or as Paul wrote in chapter 12, we present our bodies as living and holy sacrifices to God. And, not, and listen, not part of us, but all of us. It is so easy to hold back parts of our lives from God, isn't it? To try and pick and choose what we are comfortable with God having of us. You know, sometimes for special occasions, birthdays, Christmas, so forth, we'll go and we'll buy gifts for others, obviously. And uh, have you ever had this experience where you just, for whatever reason, have to go to Walmart on Christmas Eve? And when you go in there, it's, you know, 6 o'clock Christmas Eve, and invariably there's going to be that one man who's forgotten about Christmas, and he is raiding the gift card section because he's forgot. And, you know, and he's like, what does my wife like? You know, I've got to figure out what to get her. We, we like to give gift cards at times or gift certificates, and, and really the reason we like giving those is because we say up to $50 I'll give you. I'm not giving you any more than that, but I'll give you up to $50. You know what I've never given to anyone in my life? I've never given them a blank check and just said, write what number you want and cash it. First of all, they would be deeply disappointed. Second, I've just never done that because I know a lot of people that I give gifts to and they would take me for everything I have. But may we never, ever, ever treat our Lord that way. May we not. It's, it's so easy to say, God, here is my life. It is yours, but only to this point. I'm not going to give you any more than that. Here is some of my life. The rest is mine. Where I live is mine. My kids are mine. God, I will give you my life. I'll go on mission trips. But Lord, you better not call my kids to go on mission for you. They, you better not call them as missionaries because they are mine. That part of my life is mine. Or God, my finances are mine. I'll be generous up to this point, but I'm not going to give more than just a tip. I'm not going to give a, a tithe or whatever it is you sense God might be putting on your heart. My time is mine. Unfortunately, I think we often give God gift cards of our lives, but not a blank check. But my friends, we have the king who is infinitely worthy to have all of our lives. 
not bits and pieces, not parts, but all of our life. So may we give him all of our plans, all of our goals, all of our goods, our family, our friendships, everything in our lives. May we offer up our lives to him like that, which is, Paul writes next, which is your spiritual service of worship. Look at verse 1 again. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. The word for spiritual here is the Greek word logikos, which is where we get our word logic or logical from. And some translations translate it as reasonable. And really, it's a significant word here when you consider the fact that what Paul is writing, and he's, he's very simply saying the logical thing to do. The reasonable thing to do in light of the depths of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, in light of his transcendency, in light of the fact that through him and from him and to him are all things, in light of the mercies of God that we experience and enjoy, the kindness of God, the love of God, the grace of God, adoption, forgiveness. He's writing the only logikos, the only logical, the only reasonable, and yes, even the only rational thing to do for a God like this is to give all of ourselves to him. For he is worthy of that. To offer up our bodies as a living sacrifice, as an act of worship. The greatest worship we can ever offer up to God is our lives completely surrendered to him. Not a gift card, but a blank check. Then Paul continues to explain what this looks like in verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Do not be conformed to this world. You know, many Christians today have become devastated by the world and its systems. They have bought into lies and they have believed these lies. And here is why. They allowed it to happen. They, they simply and willingly opened themselves up to be conformed to this world. I want you to imagine owning a, a really, really nice house, but it is situated and located in one of the most crime-infested neighborhoods in one of the worst cities in the United States. Miami, Detroit, Chicago, Memphis, somewhere like that. And one day as you're about to leave your beautiful house sitting in the middle of all these other shacks and, and very, you know, just a depressed area, you decide, I'm going to leave today. And so you go out and you put a big banner over the front of your house that says, out for the day, door is unlocked. Within 30 minutes, everything's going to be gone. Everything's going to be gone from your house. It's going to be destroyed. It's going to be ransacked. It is going to be really, really bad. Many times I am afraid that as Christians, we simply leave our hearts and our minds unguarded just like that. We openly allow the things of this world to have access to our minds and our hearts. We don't guard, we don't fight, we don't battle for holiness. We simply give in to the ways of this world. And that is to be conformed to this world. That is letting the world shape and mold our hearts and minds rather than God. So what should we do? Instead of being conformed to this world, what is the alternative? Well, look what he writes here. Do not be conformed to this world, but, here's the other side, but... Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, the word that is used here for transformed is a word that's going to sound very familiar to you. You studied it in, in science class and biology and, and zoology when you were a kid. It is the Greek word metamorpho, which is where we get our word metamorphosis from. When you think of the word metamorphosis, what do you think of? Butterfly, right? 
You think of a butterfly emerging from its chrysalis. And, and ultimately, that's, that's the picture here. This speaks of an, of an outward nature. And the idea is that as we are growing in grace, as we are growing in holiness inwardly, as we present ourselves to God, we will begin to change outwardly in the way that we act, in the way that we speak, in the way that we interact with others, with how we view and use our time and our resources, how we view the world and the needs of the world and so forth. Now, how does this transformation happen practically? He writes here, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Again, outward change comes from inward change, not the other way around. To use an old country saying, what's in the well comes up in the bucket. Who we are in here is going to come out out here. Outward change comes from inward change, not the other way around. Our words and our actions are simply a reflection of our hearts. And when our hearts are being transformed by our Lord, our actions are going to begin to reflect that. So how then are our minds renewed practically? I'll think of several passages. A couple I want to highlight is Colossians 3.16, where Paul writes, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. We have to be taking in God's word. This is truth with no mixture of error. This is God's word given to us as an act of his mercy and grace in our lives. And we take in the word of God. And we ask God to change us. We ask the Holy Spirit to change us through his word. I think of Ephesians 5.18 that says we are to let the, we're to be filled with the spirit to allow the Holy Spirit of God to fill us. We are to humbly take in the word of God, and as the seed of the word grows in our heart, as we are being filled with the Holy Spirit of God, as we choose to present ourselves to God, we will begin to grow, and God will begin to transform us into the person he wants us to be. I want you to notice one final thing here. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you will be able to prove, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is. When a Christian is being transformed by God, when they are living their life differently than the world, when they're living their life in a way that is honoring to our Lord, we are proving and we are approving and we are showing others what the will of God is. We are letting our good works shine before men in such a way that they may see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. Again, this goes back to the simplicity of relationship. It's, it's not all about us trying to do better and to be better because we can never do that. We can never do that. No, we present our lives to God and not to the world. We read his word. We're filled with his spirit. We grow in our friendship with him. We gratefully acknowledge his mercies in our lives. We understand that he is our creator who made us and who loved us. And when we begin to, to submit ourselves to him in that way, recognizing who he is and what he has done, aligning our lives, it is then that we will begin to really see the incredible metamorphosis of God in our lives. And that, my friends, is for the glory of God and for the good of mankind. As we submit ourselves to God, he will do the transformative work in us, and he will empower us to be who he's called us to be and to do what he has called us to do. Are you totally committed to the Lord today? Will you surrender to him today, all of who you are, for him? Will you raise the white flag of surrender to the only God who is worthy.
Surrendering to God is an acknowledgement that God can manage our lives way better than we can. Will you trust him enough to present all of yourself to him? Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes right now? I just want to ask you some simple questions right now for you to consider. Number one is this, do you have a relationship with God? Has there ever been a time in your life where you have repented of your sins and you have placed your faith wholly in what Christ did for you? If you have never come into a relationship with God through what Jesus, the Son of God, did for you, I encourage you today, when this service is over, come talk to Pastor Josh or one of the elders here, and I know that they would love to open up a copy of God's Word and walk you through how you can be saved and born again today. Second question is this, does God have your whole life? Or are there areas you have been holding on to? Has God convicted you of an area today that you are holding on to? If so, release that today. If so, I just encourage you to wave the white flag of surrender to our great and awesome God. And if you are a Christian, have you been pursuing him lately? Again, as I said at the beginning, God calls us first and foremost to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love him preeminently. Have you been growing in your love for God or has your love for him grown cold? If so, simply repent of that today and ask God to begin to continue working in your life. He who began a good work will complete it. Surrender to him today. Father, we thank you right now for this awesome opportunity to assemble together as brothers and sisters in the faith. God, I thank you for everyone who is here today, created in the image of God. Father, we thank you for the work of Christ. We thank you for sending Christ to come and do what we could never do to die in our place so that we could be forgiven and have life. We thank you for the resurrection of Christ, defeating death and the grave, the perfect atonement for our sins. God, I pray if there's anyone here today that does not have a relationship with you, today would be the day of their salvation. And Father, for my brothers and sisters in the room right now, God, help our hearts to be yours, totally, completely, utterly surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. God, may we not give you a gift card of our lives as though we were doing you a favor. But God, may we give you a blank check, all of our lives, for your glory and for the good of man, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org.